0: Are you in search for the perfect health insurance? Well, look no farther because they are the ultimate platform that revolutionizes the way that you find, enroll and manage your health coverage. HealthBird offers an innovative solution that is tailored just for you. They have a lightning fast search engine that you can effortlessly compare health insurance quotes in milliseconds. There's no more tedious hours of browsing endless websites or spending hours on the phone with insurance agents. They offer a user-friendly app available on iOS and Android, which puts the power of managing your health insurance right at your fingertips. So again, you know, don't let the complexity of health insurance overwhelm you. Join HealthBird community and experience a seamless intuitive platform that puts you in control. So get a quote today at healthbird.com forward slash dealmakers. This episode is brought to you by BUPOS. Attention entrepreneurs, are you ready to take your business aspirations to new heights? Allow me to introduce you to BUPOS, the ultimate solution for finding and funding your SaaS and subscription-based business acquisitions. With BUPOS, you'll experience a seamless and worry-free process. They offer flexible funding and require absolutely no personal guarantee. I mean, again, you can go there, you can explore over a thousand opportunities pre-approved for financing, ensuring that you invest in a business with true profit potential. BUPOS has got you covered. Their team actually provides one-on-one advisory support to help you making informed decisions. And on BUPOS, you got to remember, they've already approved over 700 million in funding and they've written over 3,000 businesses, financed hundreds of successful business acquisitions and have an impressive 4.7 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot. So you should go to bupos.com forward slash dealmakers. And that is bupos as B-O-O-P-O-S dot com forward slash dealmakers. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Maker show. So today we have a a really interesting founder. You know, we're going to be talking about, you know, going from technical to business Uh, From, you know, a startup that he had to wind down to now a startup that is making a killing, you know, a really, a really nice rocket ship going from early stage to growth stage. You know how you need to be as a founder, too, and what are going to be some of the things that you're going to be encountering. And obviously, the good stuff that we like to hear, like fundraising, because he's done every single type of round that you can imagine. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Sam Lee. Welcome to the show.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So originally born in China. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up?
1: Yeah. uh, Born and raised in Shanghai, China. Uh, Both of my parents are professors. So, you know, in that sense, not not too much entrepreneurial blood uh, in the family, but, you know, we made our way to the States. I came here after high school, studied uh, computer science and economics at University of Virginia. So, you know, Charlottesville was my First stop into the states, uh, then have been in the New York area since, which is uh, very different.
0: And um, what got you into computers? What 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 developed that love for it?
1: Well, I think this was uh, you know, 2007. It's it's already. I got my first computer when I was 10, 12, and you know, fell in love with it. Not not the the craziest hacker kid on the block, but you know, have uh, enough love for it and realize that you know everything is gonna. Be related to internet and computer, even even back in the day. So decided to to study that, and you know now I, I think uh, it should really make its way to uh, middle school and high school education. Everybody needs to get literated on programming.
0: So after you know uh, studying in Virginia, in University of Virginia, I mean you did uh, a few things, you know here and there. You know I mean you from Goldman Sachs to Google. What, what did you learn from, like, perhaps, you know, being at such big corporations? Because, I mean, you've now had the opportunity of being in startups, you know, being a founder of startups, but then also being in larger corporations. What did you learn or what did you see from being at such successful companies like Goldman Sachs and Google?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I, uh, I really appreciate my time uh, at those two companies. I uh, just learned, you know, how proper business uh, are run. I mean, and also obviously it was a more kind of risk averse choice uh, after college, uh, but I learned a lot uh, at both places, both in terms of like technical skills, right? What uh, uh, the fundamentals of uh, uh, computer science and, you know, working at was cutting edge technologies at both places, but also a sense of uh, professionalism, right? And like, you know, what is, how do we have accountability on the team, right? How do we manage? How do we uh, get message across? Uh, and you know the tactical skills, ability to write an email, ability to uh, you know host a presentation, uh, get people's attention. Uh, I think you know I I, I now I'm a you know, entrepreneur and I you know can't imagine going back to work at a large company. But for you know younger folks that uh, I advise, like sometimes I think you know people need to have work at large companies before they, they jump into the startup world.
0: I mean, without a doubt, it's a, it's a good training. Uh, now, for you, you know, eventually you decided that it was time to change or shift gears, and um, and you went to get your MBA. What triggered that?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. You know, I I always am interested in business and uh, strategy. Um, you know, decided to pick a technical major, but you know, I'm not the not the best uh, programmer uh, in my class or at the company, right? And I know that you know, I want to do something more strategic. Um, before going to MBA, I actually thought I would either you know go back to Google to to do product or maybe join consulting. So you know, but I know that I need some formal business education to to gain the skills and network to uh, make my next move. Um, it's pretty pretty uh, uh, serendipitous to to you know join the startup world. You know, I thought this would probably happen a little bit later in my career, but uh, I'm really glad I made the choice to to get my MBA.
0: So you did the MBA and that was actually the immediate step towards uh, experiencing entrepreneurship, the world of yeah. startups. So you met your co-founder there. And and what happened? At what point were you guys like, OK, let's let's go?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I couldn't say enough good things about my MBA experience. I met my co-founder and my wife uh, at HBS. So that was a great time. Uh, it was uh, first year, um, I think second semester. Um, you know, uh, my, my, uh, he became the co-founder of my last company, uh, Raphael, he came from a, a banking background and, you know, had a thesis on insure tech. Um, so was like, Sam, uh, you, know, you, uh, you you come from a technical background, uh, let's do this together. So we started Zinc Platform, you know, in the uh, innovation lab uh, at Harvard uh, when we were MBA students. Um, so the idea is it's an insurance API. Um, for products. So it's kind of like uh, with a firm, uh, you can add uh, you can add financing, you can check out with a firm. Uh, but with Zinc, you can add insurance for your jewelries, bicycles, musical instruments, and eventually cars and houses. While you purchase them, you can add insurance to cart. So that was the idea. Uh, we applied and got into a Y Combinator. Uh, we raced around. In fact, I dropped out of HBS for a year to work on this uh, here in New York. We had a you know, pretty, pretty uh, nice office uh, in Soho, but you know, eventually we uh, didn't hit product market fit, uh, couldn't raise our Series A, and uh, winded down the company.
0: So, what, what do you think? Why do you think was that the case? Why do you think you know you guys were not able to uh, to achieve product market fit? Because I mean, we're going to be talking about you know the the successful company that you've started now uh, most recently, but but I like to to see if, if if there's any reflections there that you can share. You know, with some of the audience, because as they say, you either succeed or you learn. And I'm sure that uh, what you got away, you know, from this experience, I'm sure it was extremely useful for what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there's no failure. There's only lesson learned. Right. I think, you know, many of them, um, you know, we had a very good thesis. Right. And there were, uh, in fact, right now, other companies that are doing similar things and became more and more successful. Um, but I think we made a series of uh, execution uh, mistakes, right? We didn't focus on really horning in on that product market fit, uh, like, you know, which is the vertical that we want to get in. Uh, we started kind of spreading ourselves too thin into different verticals before we really were able to find, you know, more more direct product market fit and therefore revenue on the, the first demographic that we went in. And we also, you know, scaled uh, prematurely, right? We, we we have a product we start to get some tractions you know and then we kind of hit a hit a bottleneck and we couldn't make more deals then the 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 right thing to do is to re-examine your assumptions and you know, look at the ideas tune the product what we did is we hired a sales team right and that's that's a very important lesson uh if if the founders couldn't do the sales couldn't get to the initial tractions like you know getting getting. Uh, a sales force in is not going to help solve the problem because you're still in the product market fit stage, which is frankly the only thing that matters for, for early stage companies.
0: Now, one thing that is very important is either driven by ego by ego, or, or I don't know, by by not wanting to give up. You know, there's just founders that just keep going and keep going. At what point do you guys realize, hey, it's time that we pull the plug and it's obviously a cost opportunity type of thing and we need to move on?
1: Yeah, that's that's also a great question, and you know we, um, you know we 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 tried to raise a Series A when we are maybe like you know eight months of runway. You know, three months later, uh, didn't get very far, and then we're like, okay, we're really risking on you know people's livelihood and uh, you know, kind of uh, not having a good ending with our existing investors at that point. Uh, we decided to pivot, but it was a little bit too late. We built the MEP for the new product, but again, we're gonna run out of money before we uh, the new product really hit the market. So you know that's the point we decided you know what um you know I think I think we should give the money back to the investors and give all of our employees um, a good uh, a good segue into their into their next thing um so and that it was a you know we 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 get everybody into the room in the morning. It was a painful decision. Uh, and, you know, it's something that uh, I will not forget and I don't want to make again. Right. It's like it's this is the first time, obviously, in a small scale, everybody's fine um, that, you know, we because of my mistake or, you know, my my oversight, you know, we uh, uh, you know didn't accomplish the mission. We lose investors money. Um, but. The good news is that the venture community is very, very forgiving. Uh, and, you know, so so are the team. You know, people find their soft landings. And, uh, you know, I was able to give it an opportunity to try again.
0: And uh, the best way of doing it is via an entrepreneur in residence program, like the one that you did in Bain. So um, out of all places, uh, how do you come across Bain and and then also the this program that I think is a fantastic, you know, initiative at any of those, you know, like top uh, firms, you know, to, 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 to find that as a, as a segue into the next business.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I feel very lucky and, and blessed to have that opportunity, similar to MBA, right? It's kind of a, a way to uh, have a soft uh, landing ground or a starting pad for, for the next thing, right? You get some time to uh, do some reflections and you know, research some new ideas. So uh, Bang uh, got to know the partner, Matt Harris, uh, here in New York in our uh, failed Series A process. And he was like, you know what, like, I think you guys are a little bit too early for us to invest, but uh, I like you guys. We have this Entrepreneur Residence program. Uh, you, know, you guys can come in, spend some time with the team and you know, maybe think about uh, your new ideas. So we ended up taking that opportunity, you know, I was like to joke that uh, I, I went to their office, I drink their coffee, I eat their snacks and you know, think about new ideas. So it's a pretty good, uh, pretty good gig for a jobless MBA, uh, uh, for sure. So as
0: we're, as we're talking about ideas here, um, you know, while, while, I mean, obviously the Entrepreneur in Residence program is not only incubating, you know, new ideas and thinking through things, but then also kind of like giving the um the 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 firm you know and the team you know your thoughts too on some of the ideas that they're coming across so right. what were some of the patterns that you identified between the ideas that were good and worth pursuing and the ideas that were bad and that it was just better to just move on
1: yeah that's a that's a great question and you know i spent a year there has a spreadsheet of probably over a hundred of ideas that I you know look into to to a different extent and you know have a have a little bit of a you know towards the end kind of figure out some sort of framework to evaluate ideas. I think there there are a couple of things that are important. You know, one, I think you know we we are probably you know as people coming from from business school like more interest more familiar with like a venture backed setup. Uh, there are many ideas that are in that category, but there are more ideas that are in a kind of more traditional business uh, set, set up, right? Small business ideas. Uh, I think, you know, this was like 2019, 2018. There are a lot of like DTC commerce, you know, many of them did very well, but that in some sense is not a technology business, right? And it's their supply and demand. There's like, you know, real, real world constraints on how fast you can scale, so I think the first thing to look at is, you know, is this a venture-backable business, right? And I think a lot of people lose discipline when the market is hot and you know, there are probably many businesses that shouldn't be funded um, you know, versus the ones that can truly scale, right? Usually it's a little bit more technology-driven uh, or recurring revenue, things like that. I think the, the second thing to look at is this concept of a founder problem fit, right? Why are you... Uh, or this team in a unique position to, or is there someone on the team who were the users who could have been the user for this product or who have like, you know, uh, very specialized insights into a specific problem that other people wouldn't have noticed or access to new technology, awareness of new regulations. Uh, what I call this founder problem fit. Um, and I think the third thing is you know, market size. As you, if, if the market size is too small, it wouldn't be really venture back.
0: Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at Pantera advisors.com And we would love to take a look at helping you out. So then while you were there, you know, we see the idea of Thorough Pass came knocking. So, how did the idea come to you, and and then you were like, my God, I gotta go at it with this one, you know? Yeah. And, and then and then how did you brought it to life? What was that journey like?
1: Yeah, um, so you know, this compliance bit was a pain point that I experienced when I was running Zinc. Um, you know, we uh, were doing fine until we started selling to any large customers, and they said, "Okay, can I see your information security policy? I'm sure." You have gone through a SOC two process, right? Can I see the report? And we we're like, uh, no, not sure what that is. I'm gonna, you know, quickly Google and you know figure out what I can do. That was the first exposure I had to this information security compliance problem set. And then we eventually decided to do a SOC two audit. I thought it would be a you know pretty straightforward six weeks max process. Six months later, I still don't have the report in hand. I find myself spending a lot of my time and my engineering's time you know, trying to hack together an information security program uh, and the auditors that we work with, they have Excel trackers, SharePoints, basically very manual processes on doing this. So I wish there is a Carta or a JustWork, um, you know, equivalent for information security compliance, which didn't exist at the time. Um, so I, I knew that this is a pain point because I am the persona that, you know, Thoroughpass, uh, which back then were known as Leica, uh, so too. So that's a uh, I feel very lucky to be the persona that I'm selling to, which kind of checks the product market fit. Give me a lot of uh, confidence on that in the early days.
0: So for the people that are listening to to really, you know, get it, what ended up being the business model of Thoropass? how are you guys making money?
1: Uh, we are a subscription business. Uh, and. Customers are technology companies, fintech, SaaS, health tech. You know, there are also some traditional businesses who are in the market to become, stay, and demonstrate compliance to a variety of information security frameworks, um, SOC two, GDPR, HIPAA, you name it. Uh, and we uh, a, it's a SaaS model. Yeah, you pay for an annual subscription. There are different pricing tiers and you know, different uh, selections of uh, frameworks that you can add to your package. We also have a series of features that we charge um, yeah, on top of it.
0: And uh, how was that journey of uh, doing a rebrand? Because, I mean, as you were talking oh. about it earlier, you guys uh, came out as Leica, and then, you know, all of a sudden, now you're a pass. I'm sure that was not easy. So how did you come up with the, you know, one day, hey, we gotta, we gotta change this name.
1: Yeah. Uh, so it's a good question. I think we uh, we like the original name. Uh, it is the dog, the first dog in space. Uh, it's a, you know, we're kind of in the cybersecurity space, and it's a cyber dog, so we, we like it. But um, you know, frankly, we didn't put uh, too much thought into it when we first picked it. So which means there are uh, practical and uh, kind of more uh, philosophical. Uh, problems that starts to come out once we uh, gone much bigger. Uh, you know, there the, there's not like a very deep connection in a name with uh, what we do, and uh, there are also like SEO collisions on a, from a search perspective. So you know, we decided to to rebrand. You know, and you know there are other things that we want to do for a rebrand. And halfway through that process, we decided, you know, what it's time to to pull the trigger to to find a better name. We came up with ThoroughPass, like thorough stands for thoroughly, uh, which indicates kind of the fashion that we do for compliance. Pass is the, the shortest um, distance between two peaks of a mountain. Um, ThoroughPass helps you get from point A to point B on your compliance journey. We really like the, the new name.
0: Now, how much capital have you guys raised to date
1: for ThoroughPass? We have raised uh, $98 million, uh, over four rounds of financing.
0: And no surprise that one of the investors is Bain.
1: Yeah, Bain Bank has been supportive uh, from day one, and uh, you know, they, uh, they 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 have a great presence here, and I uh, really love the, the folks there.
0: So you've done all types of rounds of financings. Uh, you've done you know early stage rounds. You've done you know more on the growth stage you know side of things. So what have you uh, learned, really? I mean, as as you're able to reflect and, and you're able to share with many of the founders that are tuning in now. What have you learned in the journey of raising money and how those expectations have shifted as you matured from one financing cycle to the next?
1: Yeah. Well, I guess to summarize, it's uh, art and science, right? And you, you need both uh, for it to work. Um, you know, I would say uh, in, the, in the early days, right, it's really about product market fit and, you know, the people, the, the um, finding investors that trust the team, like the space, uh, and you know are confident about your ability to execute in that space. I think there were you know when when we fir- were first started, right? There were some sort of like rule of thumb. You need a million ARR to raise the Series A, or you need X Y Z traction to to do the seed, right? And you know I, I, I've seen many people trying to look for those rule of thumb uh, metrics to to justify uh, you know their fundraising journey, and you know I. I Unfortunately, there is no such shortcut, right? You kind of need to know that you, there, you could be hitting product market fit without getting even close to you know, 1 million AR, or you could hit a million AR but still don't have product market fit. So I think that the early stage rounds are really about uh, getting people convinced that you know there is something here, there is this market deserves a new innovative solutions uh, in there, uh, and you guys are the right people to execute on that strategy. The later the more later it goes it's more about the go-to- market flywheel um, so it's uh, do you have the ability to um, you know compete uh, in the market uh, is there enough room for uh, you to grow into is there you know potential upmarket uh, strategies that you can go into so it's much more number driven unit economics uh, growth rate margin retention like all of those uh, SAS metrics starts to become much more
0: so then, for you, obviously, as we're talking about the different expectations and how you were going from one round to the next, also, how has it been for you as a founder? Because I mean, the founder that you were when you were like pushing, you know, the idea and figuring, you know, what would that be the business? You know, when you were at Bain incubating this, is it a different founder or a different operator from the one that you're today, right? Where you have, you know, four rounds that you've done, two hundred employees. I mean, you've had to grow along the way, too, in the same speed or, or or even better speed that the company so that you were not outpaced. So how have you managed to do that?
1: Yeah, very, very much so. And, you know, I think the the tricky part is it happens very fast, right? And in, in a good way that, you know, we have to uh, have two co-founders and we have to continue to Look at our own strengths and weaknesses and reinvent our roles. I was running the product and engineering side of the house to start with. Right now, I'm focusing on the business side, right? So that is that is a functional change uh, for myself. Uh, but also, I think, you know, in, in the early days, it's really about uh, proving the product market fit, getting things done doing the unscalables, and that requires a lot of uh, hands-on work uh, by the founders themselves. Because if not you, who's going to do it, right? Um, As we continue to grow, the the product has been proven. Very quickly, it shifts into business operations. How do you scale a sales team? How do you uh, compete? Uh, how do you figure out the message, uh, the marketing message that resonates? How do you scale engineering uh, and you know product team uh, in in a cost efficient way, right? So all of those other challenges starts to come in, which are quite different from looking for product market fit. So that's the time where your energy shifts around, you know, hiring the executive team, uh, being in touch with the you know other players in the space, uh, understanding the strategic implications. And also a little bit, a a lot more kind of CFO type of financial management, which, you know, you don't have to do it yourself, but you need to find the right people in there. Another thing is like performance management, right? It's like there are, uh, you want to make sure the right people are in the seat and you don't have a lot of time to waste compared to, you know, some of the larger companies. So getting the right people on the bus is going to take a lot of your time.
0: So in this regard, you know, for getting the right people on the bus, And for having the people in the bus, too, you know, so that they continue to be there because of the future that you're living into that is very compelling. There needs to be a vision and a vision that obviously you also shared, you know, with all these investors to be able to land the $98 million. So my question to you is, imagine if you were to go to sleep tonight, Sam, and you wake up in a world where the vision of ThoroughPass is fully realized. What does that world look like?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a great question. Thoroughpass's mission is to ensure compliance is never a blocker to innovation, and I think that just really resonates with me, with me from day one. Uh, even even when when we started the company, it came from a personal pain point that I had. Like, why am I wasting my time on the busy work of compliance versus actually thinking about security, actually thinking about strategy or actually making my company you know, more more ready for future growth. And I think that really resonates with our customers as well, right? It's like people, uh, compliance is a great thing. Right? And technology companies are not always good at it. And, you know, every people want to do the right thing. But they're getting bogged down by, you know, taking screenshots to submit to an auditor's report, or, you know, writing, uh, creating policies and procedures that they don't actually execute or have the tools to manage. Those are the work that ThoroughPass wants to take away from our customers, so that they can focus on, for a smaller company, focus on their innovation, right? Whether it's curing cancer or you know building the AI tools, focus on that. For larger companies, which are selling to like you know compliance professionals, to think more about you know uh, threat management, right? Protecting your company. Strategies on you know how do we make compliance enabler for you to go to a new market or open up new segment, versus the busy work of uh, getting everything in place, chasing around the company for evidence submission for your upcoming audit. So that that is the vision that Cerapass um, is here to to help people realize.
0: So obviously we're talking about the future here. I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's say I was to put you into a time machine. And I bring you back to the moment where you were at Harvard, you know, doing the MBA. And, uh, and I give you the opportunity of going back in time to that moment where you were starting to think about a future where you could, you know, launch perhaps your own business. And let's say you're able to whisper to that younger self, to that younger Sam, one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? You know, obviously. One startup that didn't work so well, you know, your experience at Bain, being an entrepreneur in residence now, being the founder and operator of uh, Rocket Ship. What would you tell that younger self?
1: Uh, It's a great question. Uh, So, you know, I think I did what I would uh, told him now, which is to, you know, go for it and, you know, uh, to uh, uh, do my first startup. And I think that that was, you know, not the most risky move, right? I have my MBA, I have like, a, you know, soft landing if I have to, you know, uh, if the startup doesn't work. But I think, you know, taking that leap of faith is still a big decision that I had to make. Uh, and, you know, I think on the second startup, I spent a year looking for that idea and I did a lot of reflection, you know, model thinking around what kind of ideas will work, what would not i think for the first idea obviously it would be great if it succeeded but it is really about the experience and the thrill and the you know just feeling the the hardship of entrepreneur that is the lesson that i learned right that people depend on you their jobs depend on you, that you can make decisions that you know otherwise people have to wait many years to climb, to climb the corporate ladder to make at a very small scale but potentially have big impact i think these are feelings that it's very hard to get in the classroom or even working at a large company right you can be a innovation group uh, at a large company or you can do you know very special project in the company but nothing beats that you have to raise money you have to convince your first employees to join this startup that nobody has heard of you have to take a pay cut to 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 be a founder like these kind of experience is, is is you just have to experience it, and you know I want to just give give myself another push that hey like don't don't worry about that consulting interview, uh, spend more time on on startup ideas.
0: I love it. I love it, Sam. So for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi, what is the best way for them to do so?
1: Yeah, you can uh, find me as Sam at uh, thoroughpass.com, um, and uh, you know we are. Uh, still on first name basis, and uh, you know we're here in New York. Uh, our office is in Chelsea, um, and we have people around the country. Also have a big team in Latin America, um, uh, centered in Costa Rica. So, come say hi. Uh, we have a couple of conferences, including Saster Primary Summit that we're going to. Uh, we're here to help.
0: Amazing. Well, hey Sam, thank you so much for being on the Deal Maker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. It has been very fun. Thank you.